Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. I'm Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I talked to Shauna Newman, who runs a blog over at Skip Blast, and she has a portfolio of affiliate and niche sites in general. She's been working online for quite a while, like going on 10 years plus, and I've known Shauna for several years. So I think maybe back in 2014 or 2015 is when I first crossed paths with uh, Shauna. And this is a fun episode because we get into some very advanced topics, topics that a lot of times we just don't get into during a success story interview. And those are kind of the ones that I've been doing a lot more of recently since people do want to hear these success stories. But since Shauna has been working, making money online for so many years, she's seen uh, a lot more stuff. She's uh, very smart, has a strong background in uh, writing, and she has an MBA as well. So she brings a lot of uh, different skills to the table and just the way she approaches things. So we talk about how she got her start. We get into some of her techniques as far as uh, building a site and sort of the timeline and her philosophy as far as creating sites and then selling them over time. And this is a business model that I've heard people talk about in what basically what they want to do. They want to build sites, a few sites per year, let them age, let them grow, and then sell them, obviously, for a big profit. And Shauna is doing this and has been for years. Now, I won't spoil anything from the interview, so I'll leave it at that. We also get into using fake personas, dealing with algorithm updates, growing a site, and some of her favorite tools and themes and plugins and that sort of thing. And we also talk about Haro link building, so help a reporter out, which has been sort of a a thread, a theme that we've been covering through a few of the episodes recently. So... Let's uh, let's hear from Shauna and check out her stuff over at Skip Blast. I will place uh, links and all, all the sort of things that you need to know in the show notes. Shauna, how's it going today? Uh, pretty good. How about you? Doing really good. I am. Uh, I'm pumped to talk to you. Like I said, it has it has been a while, but we'll pull the curtain back behind the scenes a little bit. We tried to record this one week ago, but we had some massive tech issues. So, um, thanks for working on it. Uh, we hit a dead end, and we really couldn't do anything. So, appreciate that. What was the the issue that you ran into? Uh, well, I had some audio dropping and just not recording, period, and it ended up being an issue with living by the sea here in Europe with no air conditioner, but uh, it's all good now, so I think we're going to be okay. Very cool. And yeah, where are you located now? And you don't have to you know, say the neighborhood, but just you know, from an interest standpoint, yeah, where, where do you live now? I'm actually in the Netherlands, uh, in The Hague, but I live by the sea, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Dutch name, but if you just... Look for the uh, on Google Maps for the pier with the boardwalk in The Hague. You'll know where I live. So. All right. Pretty cool. And for the people that don't know you, can you give a little intro about your background and what you work on these days? Well, I've been doing this for more than a decade. Um, I started out with made for AdSense sites, which were just content specific sites, so not really affiliate marketing. I started actually in the personal finance niche, but for the bulk of that decade plus, I've been doing affiliate sites primarily with Amazon. However, in recent years, I've kind of gotten away from that. 
And so I've been focusing on the build and flip model for sites. So I'm just churning them out as fast as I can and flipping them on Empire Flippers for cash. Very cool. And to this point, how many sites have you sold, if you recall off the top of your head? (laughs) That's a good question. I don't have an exact number. I would say somewhere between 30 to 40. I, I spent one year and I sold like 15. So it's pretty consistent. I haven't sold any actually in the last year. Because now I'm trying to focusing on holding a little longer. So All right. normally I normally I flip it around fifteen hundred dollars a month. Okay, and what kind of uh, return do you see on those, uh, both from the the top line revenue of what you you make selling the site, and mm-hmm. then of course the ROI after all your expenses and that sort of thing? It really depends on the niche. Actually, I had a test site like three or four years ago that I did in the paddleboard niche where I spent maybe $3,000 getting it all set up. I did most of the content myself. Then I flipped it for 35,000, 18 months later. Okay. So, and it was making like four grand a month for a while awesome. there, like, in, like only in the summer, of course, cause it's a seasonal niche, but it's obviously getting harder, you know, with Amazon commission cuts and freelance writers increasing their rates and stuff to have such a big profit margin. But I mean, I, I do, I do well enough to move to Europe. So. Right. That's awesome. And the thing is, I've heard so many people want to do the, this model that you're describing, right. but they often run into issues, run out of steam before they've worked out the kinks. Did it take you a long time to develop the process and be able to execute reliably? Oh yes. Like I, I have a lot of failures. Um, Luckily, I kept at it. I ended up finding a guy who's actually no longer even in the industry who was doing a step-by-step thing on how he made his own Amazon affiliate sites. And he just shared it out there publicly. And then he created a forum that was $5 a month that I joined. And so I started kind of doing what he taught, which was focusing more on buyer guides. And then not too long after that, uh, Squidoo got real big for internet marketers. And so I was kind of doing that. And that kind of helped me refine my keyword research process. And then I just moved doing my own sites after that. And I guess the rest is history. <laughs> All right. And can you give us any idea, like the scope of how much you're earning per month? So people have an idea just in general. I don't publicly disclose all of my income. I have around 20 sites in my portfolio, but I did start this year doing a case study and income report update each month. And so there are four sites um, from my portfolio in that and I think it was around four grand last month. I'm, I'm not really sure, but people can check it out for themselves on my site. Okay. And we'll be able to get links for all that yeah. stuff over uh, Skip Blast. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. I know I, I don't share much of my income these days either. So I respect that. But I always, I always uh, want to ask and make sure you have an opportunity to explain. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say it's six figures a year, but that's, that's as specific as I'll get. So Fair enough. Very cool. And it's expensive in Europe. We were talking um, just yeah. off off the record, just taxes in general. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's a lot of taxes that you pay over there. So <laughs> you must be doing okay. <laughs> so we're going to jump into a lot of different areas. And number one, I want to hear about sort of how you're building the sites and the process uh, starting from keyword research to your content. It sounds like you have some writers on staff. And then link building and how long you age it. So I know there's a lot baked into that question and I'm just going to throw it over to you. 
Okay. Um, well, I actually just started a new site a couple of days ago. Um, I didn't intend to because, like I said, I already have 20 sites in my portfolio, which is more than enough. I've been trying for ages to get it down to 10, but I keep starting new sites. So I would say for the past year or so, my method has been find a site in a niche that I'm not in that's doing well, see what they're doing, if there's any opportunities, and then try to beat them. So with this new site I started, I actually found it in the add thrive json file which you can is publicly available and you can see every site that's got add thrive ads and so i got that just like almost 3,000 sites i ran them through a bulk checker to find the ones that didn't have any authority <laughs> and then i went through niche by niche to see what interested me and i was like oh that's easy they're ranking really well they're in ad thrive their traffic looks great and just with some links i can beat these people so that's kind of what I've been doing basically lately. Right. Very interesting in that um, add Thrive JSON file. So for yeah. the non-tech people, can you break it down a little bit? And then I know people will be able to Google and do a little more research. It's actually a good video for me to create, but can you okay. explain a little more? Yeah, it's just like a kind of like a raw data file that you can access. And for AdThrive, it includes the company or person who owns the site, the publisher ID with them, and the website URL itself. If you just tried to download it from their site, it's not going to really be formatted very well. But there's another website out there where you can download it in a CSV format to make it super easy. And then you just upload it to Ahrefs with just the URLs, sort it by authority, and then run with it. Okay. It's funny how deep we got into technical stuff in like minutes. I didn't think it was going to be that fast, but that's pretty <laughs> cool. I mean, that's fantastic. I have not heard of that method, but when you said it, I, I thought, well, that's that makes perfect sense. That is, you know, deep in the weeds, technical. And I mean, you still have to do the work of right, you know, figuring yeah, out yeah. like how to build a site. So from keyword research, is it mainly via the competitor analysis because you have sort of the blueprint of what's working for that person's site. Right. Yeah. So that's where I start and that's kind of like a framework. And so what I've been doing for the past year is once I get that framework, like I like to plan my entire site like structure out before I even start a site. So I'll have like maybe my top level categories and then I'll get like a hundred to 150 article topics before I even start anything. Now, I, I start out, obviously, on Ahrefs, getting most of those from what the people are already ranking for. And then I see, like, where can I go from here? You know, where, how can I build this out or even go deeper into whatever they've covered? So, Okay. What breakdown do you have for informational versus product reviews? And I assume it really depends on how you're monetizing the site, but just in a general sense. This new site I've started, it's actually going to be a little different for me because it's going to be 100% informational, which obviously will be good for display ads because I found it on the ad thrive list. What I found interesting though, which is why I decided to go into this particular niche is the person who is on ad thrive that I got inspired by. They don't have any info products. They're not monetizing it any other way other than ads. And pretty much immediately, I was like, well, there's definitely at least two info products I can create. I could probably also create a course in addition to the display ads because I'm not starting any sites these days where I can't have multiple streams of income. So, very, yeah, that's big for me too, especially with the uh, digital product area where the margins are higher. Mm -hmm. So, affiliates can pay or they could pay affiliates a lot more. So, that's pretty cool. 
moving on to the content area, how do you get so much written? It sounds like, you know, you come up with at least 150 topic ideas. So what's the process to get that published? Well, I actually have an undergrad degree in English and I used to be a freelance writer back when I was having no success with sites, you know, more than a decade ago. So I write a lot of my own content, but I'm at the point where I don't have to if I don't want to. So I only write the things that interest me and then I'll outsource the rest. So I'll Sometimes I use writer access, although after a terrible experience I had today, I'm going to stop doing that. Um, I've been using word agents a lot lately. I've used them off and on for a few years. They're really good. Um, they have higher rates than a lot um, of other affiliate marketers want to pay, but I've never had any problems with their work. Um, I used to use Upwork, but I've kind of gotten away from that because I get better quality stuff from word agents. All right. Do they publish directly into WordPress for you or do you do the drafting? I do it myself. I think they do offer that though, if you want to pay more, but I'm kind of a control freak. So I'd rather do it myself. All right. Do you find that you're the bottleneck because they're able to write? There's so many more writers than. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. So how how do you manage that from, you have so many sites, right? I'm just Mm -hmm. imagining the, the stress that I would feel personally (laughs) knowing that I was, I was the bottleneck and there's like potentially, you know, a dozen sites waiting for content from me. So how do you manage that? Well, I mean, it's actually something I constantly kind of struggle with and get stressed out about, but then I'm like, well, okay, I'll outsource it to someone and I'll let them handle it. And that doesn't last very long for me because I like I said, I'm a control freak. So I'll, I'll go back to doing it all myself for myself with so many sites. What I found is to kind of work on my sites as like a rotation So, you know, I'll start some new sites and then I'll work on them real hard for a quarter or so. Then I'll just kind of put them on the back burner to age and then I'll move on to five new sites. I try to only work on five sites at a time. So, Okay. And that's manageable. It probably gives you some variety too. Once you get a little bored, you always have something else you can move into. Exactly. Exactly. Any other notable things on content templates that you use or the way that you format the content? The only thing that I do is before any content, whether I'm writing it or I outsource it, is I create basically an outline for it, which is going to be all of my H2s or my H3s or whatever. So if I'm outsourcing it, when I give it to a writer, I'm like, these are going to be your categories. Don't change them. Make each section what I tell you. And this is what, that way I get exactly what I want without any kind of fluff. So other, otherwise, you never know what you're going to get from people. Oh, yeah. For link building, what's the approach to link building? I know... You've seen so much in the the decade SEO moves so fast. So yeah. it's shifted to something completely different now. So how are you how are you approaching link building at this point? I have one site that is a test site that is powered completely by PBNs and crushing it. So that obviously is still killing of people who want to do it. My main link building is actually Hero because I'm lazy and I don't want to spend the money on paying for links. I also use um, Knobs, the Knobs.link, uh, which is an Australia link building agency. I use them a lot too. They're kind of like authority builders, but their prices are a little cheaper and they're a little more transparent. Like you see the URLs. Um, so I really like using them as well. Okay. I do some of my own outreach, but... You know, I'm lazy, like I said, and I used to have someone that I paid to do it for me, but these days it's just keeping it simple with Hero mostly. 
Okay. And for the PBNs, this private blog networks mm-hmm. for people that don't know, that's typically um, classified as gray hat. Google doesn't like those links or a little riskier. How are you um, getting those links? Are you outsourcing it? Do you have your own network? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I During the height of PBNs, I had over 200 of them in my own network. Um, managing them is quite a pain in the ass, um, as I'm sure you probably know. So what I'm doing now is I'm just renting the links from Rank Club, which used to be Diggity Links. Okay. Yep. And I, I had, I didn't have a network that big. I think I had something like a hundred and then a hundred different sites. And then I was like, after a few penalties, I just, I moved on. So I, it was too much work and I didn't feel like trying to figure it out. Well, it's so. also expensive if you're making the PDNs look like real sites that are going to get hit. So you've got all that content. And yeah. It's, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. You have to be really if, dedicated to it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have mentioned, I'll, I try not to talk about it too much, but yeah, when people ask, I'm like, it still works, but you know, you have to go down the rabbit hole and then either manage it really well on your own yeah. or, you know, work with people that know what they're doing. So yeah. now you said it was just uh, one, one test site that you're, you know, just trying to keep mm-hmm. the pulse on what's going on with the edge of SEO, I guess. Right. Yeah. Just like I, I kind of had test sites all the time. Like I have another test site where I've just sent like eight 301 redirects to it just to see what it's going to do. It's, it's doing fine right now. It's not like having an amazing success. Like you see people talking about in SEO groups, but we'll see. Very cool. Let's move to uh, the Haro link building a little bit and go a little deeper. So I've been dabbling a little bit in the last few weeks after people pointed out that it's actually fairly effective these days and not too hard to get links. So how do you how do you approach it for your sites? And do you have any just tips on landing the link and actually getting that link back to your site? Yeah, I think the key thing is to have something unique to say. So when you see a hero call that you think you can respond to, don't respond immediately with your first thought um, because everyone else is going to have the same first thought. So you have to try to kind of think outside the box. And it's been really doing really well for me. I've gotten links on like Reader's Digest, uh, Forbes, all kinds of sites that are really high authority. So. Okay. And when you first started doing this, do you, did you make any like sort of classic mistakes that, Maybe you could help people avoid if they're going to try out Haro. Initially, I was typing really, really long answers, which, you know, these are journalists for the most part, and they want kind of bite-sized snippets that they can just, you know, kind of plug and play for their articles. So I think it's important to keep it concise. That was something I struggled with at the beginning. Anyone who's read my blog post knows how wordy I am. So (laughs) (laughs) The, The English major coming out. Yeah. Do you have any, like, guide for the number of words where, say, maybe you know, a hundred to 300 words or anything where you found it particularly like the sweet spot? No, I haven't really boiled it down to anything like that. Basically when I answer, I try to say, you know, who I am and why I should be basically answering the question for them. A quick answer to what they're asking. And then just that I'm happy to follow up with any, you know, questions you might have. Just let me know. And that's it. I mean, I keep it super short. Awesome. And do you have any conversion rate that seems to be hitting where you're kind of reliably getting a certain number of links? 
I think it really varies um, by your niche. You know, like I said, I have around 20 sites and, and I'm trying to use Hero for all of them. Uh, I have some in niches where I've got no links just because there aren't that many calls in those niches. Um, I have some where it seems like almost every time I answer, I have a success rate with it. Um, I wrote about it on my blog, running it as a test for a month with Skip Blast, and I feel like I got around a 40% success rate with that. And anyone who's been on my site knows it's not very professional. It's full of GIFs and expletives. So you could probably do a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, and I checked out that article and checked out some of the links that you mentioned, and I was like, Mm -hmm. I I should have been doing this for the last several years, but I just always wrote it off. I never really paid much attention. So, yeah, you'd probably do even better because, you know, no gifs, no expletives, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're well hidden. Well hidden. Anyway, <laughs> so. One thing I forgot to ask earlier when you're, you know, building out the sites and you're getting ready to sell them, it sounds like the threshold before you sell them was around $1,500 or right, so. Yeah. About how long does that typically take just average life cycle for, you know, you growing the site to that level or beyond? Um, I would say 15 to 18 months has been the average for me in recent years. Um, you used to be able to do it in about a year, but but now I would say 15 to 18 months. And you hang on to them a little bit longer and typically they'll continue to grow. Is that kind of the idea? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like um, I've started holding onto them longer. So now I'm shooting for maybe like four to 5,000 per month before I flip. Um, and so I, I expect that to take 24 to 36 months, depending on the niche. Okay. And then for, I'm just like doing the math in my head, you have a few sites going at a time, two to three years. So potentially you could sell, uh, you know, a few of these once they mature per year. Of course you have some, well, a lot of taxes, you have broker right. fees and some other things, but generally like you can kind of reliably aim for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the goal. That's why I kind of start them in waves so that I always have something to sell if I want to sell it maybe quarterly or twice a year or something. Okay. And algorithm updates are obviously very scary. You have a lot of sites. So I suspect when a big update rolls around, some go up, some go down, and you probably feel okay with that versus some of the other updates that used to just hit everything uh, seemingly. So how do you deal with these algorithm updates just mentally? I just don't even worry about it. I just kind of keep my head down and keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I've been fairly lucky and not getting really hit by anything too bad until this most recent update in May. One of my sites was doing like over 100,000 a month and dropped to like 8,000 a month. And it's completely white hat. Um, it had been all like white hat guest post links and hero links. And the, so there was nothing out of the ordinary with it. I haven't touched it since that May update. It's been slowly recovering on its own each time Google does something. So I, I probably won't even touch it till the end of the year. So, Are you continuing to you know, do what you were doing? Were you adding more content and getting links as normal? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all I'm doing. It's it's a site that I've had for a few years, so it's it's probably due for me to do a thorough content audit on it. But I don't have time to do that right now with my other sites. So, but it's something I'll do. Gotcha. I, yeah, I find these newer updates just more holistic. So there's really <laughs> you know there's not a thing you can do. And is that your take as well? Yeah, I mean, if you're already doing everything right anyway 
then it's probably a fluke. So just keep doing what you're doing and you'll probably be fine when the next update rolls around. So. Yeah, I had a I had a couple a couple of those actually with niche site project where mm-hmm. basically I neglected the site and mm-hmm. um, it just came back from the next update. I mean, I literally did nothing. I did less than I was doing just <laughs> timing wise and right. didn't publish anything, no new links and it came back. So I don't know what's going on And it. Yeah. For me, niche site project, there's no like weird links going on other than perhaps the random negative SEO that hits right. us occasionally. Yeah. So have you had any negative SEO uh, experience? Oh, yes. I used to have a site in the water softener niche, and they are brutal with negative SEO in that niche. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Is it, I guess it's just like big, bigger, like e-commerce uh, yeah. kind of companies with SEO outsourced? Well, no, it's, it's other affiliate sites because the, the ticket price on water softeners are, is so high. Oh. So it, it was a very lucrative niche. Gotcha. So. Did you figure out how to deal with it or what was your method to handle the negative SEO? I just went after more high authority links to kind of push those down so they didn't really count for much. And that seems to work. I mean, I have the, actually the PBN site that I have as a test site has been getting negative SEO for probably more than a year now. I just checked it this week and it's still getting it coming in, but it's not hurting it at all. So and do you do you try to actively disavow those links when they come in, or do you just um, let it be? Not not for the test site because it's a test site, so I'm just kind of seeing what happens. But um, I actually did have a site. I used to be in the gaming niche, um, which I'm talking about publicly because I have a non-disclosure thing where I can't compete or whatever. And it got hit, and it didn't have hardly any links except for junk spam links, and I got a manual penalty. <laughs> links and so i had to disavow them to get back into the number one spot again it was crazy how long did it take to recover after submitting the disavow file it was like two months yeah it was crazy okay Uh, similar experience um it only took me one month but i was spending a whole lot of time (laughs) but that is why that's one of the reasons why i don't talk about you know my sites revenue other things like that just because it's happened in the past and the risk is not worth it (laughs) because people i mean there are a lot of folks that do share their sites and i'm not sure why they don't get harder or maybe people just particularly didn't like me I don't know. <laughs> so, so two months and then it, it came back. All right. right. Any tips on submitting a disavow file or sorting through the mess that is all your backlinks and obtaining all the things you yes. got to get rid of? The only thing you need to do, don't pay anybody to do it for you. Get the, the seven day trial of link research tools and do their link detox. That's all you need. Like I see people charging like a thousand dollars to do disavow files for you. Do not pay that money. You can do it yourself. Yeah, good good tip. I didn't use that tool specifically, but I have mm-hmm. seen seen it before the detox stuff. So yeah, it's it's actually great. They kind of spoof being a Google crawler, so they can see PBN links that are hidden. They can see everything with that tool. Ah, very cool. So for the the websites that you're building in general, I suspect you're not using your own um, like name and likeness and all that stuff. So you potentially have some fake personas, some pseudonyms out right. there. What's your approach to 
using those? Make it look as real as possible. Depending on the niche, it can be just setting up social profiles. Or if I'm going in a niche that really needs you to look like an authority, I'll get a LinkedIn account. I'll create, I'll buy the person's name.com to create a fake little like resume type website for them. And then I, of course, I use uh, this person does not exist.com to get a picture of somebody because when you do Hero, they often want a picture. So how to make it look as real as possible. Can you tell us a little about that website? Um, it's some type exist. of AI. I don't really know where it sources its original images from, but it kind of splices random bits of them together to make real images, although they're not always real looking, so you can get some really wacky looking stuff. So you can't just take the first image that pops up. You have to really look at it. Okay, that's, that's pretty funny. I, I wasn't aware of the site, but you have a nice post on this, and you have some yeah. news images that look ridiculous. So yeah, they're crazy. As far as so you, you go, you go deeper than a lot of people. So some people would yeah. just put the about page and then have an image and maybe a little backstory, but you're creating um, the social profile. So from say Instagram or something like that, do you actually like post some stuff? So there's a little bit of history or to what level? do you? Oh go? yeah. I'll, I will post some stuff initially and then like every so often I'll log into all of them randomly and just like post random updates or just retweet something so that it looks real. Gotcha. And how do you have any idea how much time you spend? Like, do you schedule it or is it just like randomly like, Oh, you know what? I should probably go hop in and do some social stuff. It's more like downtime. Like I don't really want to do anything else. I could get on Facebook and fuck around or I can do this and it'll actually be something helpful. So, okay. Then you could post like fake updates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> from and this was actually a question from a reader and a viewer over on YouTube about just the ethics of creating like a fake profile. Are, are there any like ethical issues that you see, well, or how do you handle yeah. that? Like, I kind of hate it. Like, I do it for like all of my sites, but I also kind of hate it because. Like, I know that I'm only answering hero calls that I'm actually qualified to answer, but it kind of makes you think, is anything on the internet real? <laughs> you know, because anybody can go get a fake photo and a fake LinkedIn and just answer things. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is, it's, it's definitely tough. And I think the person that asked the question, I think she came from a corporate background, so she she has like a professional career and needed to keep things separate, which is exactly what I had to do. So I, I struggled with it a little bit, but like you're saying, you sort of have to have something in place. Otherwise, you know, certain things don't quite make sense. Now, have you run into an issue where maybe you have to reveal your actual identity? Maybe you're making a payment or you're receiving a payment and then you have to say, hey, you know what, this this is a, not a real person. I'm using a pseudonym here. Um, when I've paid for outreach links, I've just said I'm like the content manager <laughs> because obviously the PayPal account is in my name. But I actually have a student who got their site into AdThrive and she blogs under a different name. And AdThrive asked her like a million questions. How do you know this person? How are you, how are you associated with them? So... That's something people should think about. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I never I never even thought of that, but I've used a similar thing that you've mentioned where you just say, Hey, I'm on the content team. I, you mm -hmm. know, 
there's teams behind stuff. So I think that's an easy, an easy answer most of the mm-hmm. time. All right. So let's move to growing an existing site. Now it sounds like you pretty much start your sites from scratch most of the time. Do you, mm-hmm. do you ever purchase sites or yeah, just purchase sites to grow on your own? Uh, yeah, I actually purchase sites sometimes from the flipping websites, Facebook group. What the types of sites that I buy are usually on the cheaper end of the spectrum And what I look for are sites that I can use to just fill out a silo on one of my existing sites. So if I had a gaming site and I didn't have any content about Fortnite and somebody was selling a Fortnite-specific site, then I would buy that site and make it 301 all the content to a Fortnite silo on my existing site. Okay. So the mechanics of that, can you you describe it a little bit? So there's... um, there's a site that has content and then you're going to 301 each one of those URLs to the new URL on your existing right. site within a silo. So wh- where do you do that? Um, well, the first thing I have to do is make sure all the content is actually up to date and good. So I don't 301 everything at the same time. So I'll go through post by post and I start with either the most tr- traffic post in Google Analytics or the whatever is ranking the best in Ahrefs. So I'll go through that. I'll see if what needs to be updated or changed. Then I'll move it to my new site, my, my existing site. And then I'll do my 301 through cPanel. So it's, it's, it's tedious. It's not hard. It's just tedious. And then, of course, you have to make sure you don't make any typos because then you end up with 404s. So. Okay. And in the cPanel, there's just... Um, a redirect. So right. I does that write to the HT access file? Probably. Yes, it does. So you just go into that and you click on your site as the site that it's going to, from your, well, your new site, whatever. Hold on. Let me get this yeah, straight. You, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you're going from the site you just bought to your existing site. Yeah. Okay. And then you would need to leave the the hosting account in place for the old site, right? Because that 301 redirect needs to live somewhere. In right, perpetuity. it has to stay in the HT access file. So what I usually do is I will put the site that I bought on the same hosting account just to make things easier. Okay. So just I'll, I'll recap. So you, you buy a new site <laughs> that has content. This is an awesome advanced topic. I'm glad we're we're going so deep into this stuff. So you, you're buying a site that has the content. You are prioritizing the content based on your traffic levels or the highest rankings. Mm-hmm. You're 301 redirecting on the old site to the new site and you move the content over. You're doing that via the C panel, which basically writes to the HT access file. So um, that old site will just stay there and will redirect you'll get those rankings probably takes a few weeks to kick in. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it can be with a couple of days, but usually it's, it's about two weeks. Perfect. Very good. Now, and if you're go- using a host like Cloudways though, that does not have a C panel, which I use for a lot of my sites, you cast it a little more difficult. So you can either do it by hand and in your HD access file in your text editor on your site, on your computer, there's actually a website too, where you can just kind of input it in and it'll, pop it out for you as well, which I can get you that URL later because I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Okay. And I usually do the, um, just edit the HD access 
directly. Yeah. So it's a little yeah. faster sometimes if you just copy and paste. Unless you have like 300 posts. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. There's no fast way to do it that way. I guess, <laughs> no. so. Very cool. So when you buy those sites, um, you move them over, you get the rankings and you, I guess that's a great way to just like pump a ton of content super fast. Okay. Off the top of your head, do you have any results where you added content to a silo like this and had pretty remarkable uh, new traffic and stuff? Um, it's always made my sites rise when I do this, but in one particular site, when I moved over just a 19 page site that I bought, it went from like 5,000 visits a month to 50,000. And I take it that was greater than the sum of the two separate parts. Oh yeah. The site had basically no traffic that I bought. I, it wasn't even earning any money. I just bought it for the content. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Okay. Uh, cause I'm in a position where I may be doing this and actually I just was helping one of my students do this as well. So hopefully soon I'll have a little bit of that, that data as well. Interesting. So it went from that's, that's huge. That's yeah. insane. But most of the time you, you get a little bit of a lift yeah. just across yeah. the board. Okay. Very cool. And, and it works the best if you're buying a site that has links as well as content, because then you're getting all that new backlinks as well as the new content. But most of the time, I'm just buying content sites that don't have very many links. Okay. From going back to the sort of initial uh, question point that I was starting at around growing a site. So you typically do start your sites from scratch. Um, If someone came to you and wanted to grow their site, are there a few things that you always mention where, hey, these are probably going to work out. Like, how would you approach growing a site? So, from are you talking about from the beginning, or or um, no? So, it's an existing site, and maybe, like I said, someone, yeah, imagine someone came to you and they had their site generally like plateaued. It was earning money, it was getting traffic, but they weren't quite sure what to do next. Um, I think that what I would tell them to do first is actually a content audit go through all of their existing content, starting with what's ranking the best, see if anything can be improved. Even if you're already ranking number one, you'll probably still, when you go back and look at the other sites that are ranking, there's going to be new keywords, new questions on there. People also ask things like that that you can use to kind of beef up your content. You may still stay number one or number two, but you'll still get in new traffic for that new new content. I tend to tell people to focus on content first and links second, both because I feel like content is cheaper, but also I think you get a little bit more rewards from Google for, for boosting your content instead of your links. Very good. From the content standpoint and, you know, improving it, do you have any specific strategies where you go and dissect it? I mean, no, you mentioned check out other websites right. see if if you've missed anything any other content tips to improve it i'm a big fan of the internet marketing ninjas seo compare tool i don't know if you're familiar with it or not but you can put in five urls and it will compare them it'll split out all of their h1s h2s h3s it'll give you keyword densities it gives you all kinds of data like that and that's good for a quick snapshot of, oh, I see that these three sites are covering X topic and I'm not covering that. And so that kind of helps you speed up kind of your, your analysis. Okay. From the link building standpoint, I suspect you'll probably say 
you'll do some Haro, maybe outsource a couple things. Mm -hmm. Is that pretty much your approach for link building these days? It is, but if I have an existing site that I want to improve, what I'm going to do first actually is run an Ahrefs report for my competitors to see if there's any links that they have that I don't that I can also get. I'm also a big fan of creating big informational posts with lots of data that you're one of your at least one of your competitors has and then reaching out to them and saying, oh, hey, I see you're linking to them, but we have more data and then we're more recently updated. So maybe you should try out our, our thing for your audience instead. And that actually works surprisingly well. Of course, you kind of get into a thing where if the other person does that back to you, you're just going back and forth. But, but for now, it's working pretty well. How do you assess the links that you think you could get? Like if it's something like Reader's Digest or something, then I know I'm not going to get it. If it looks just like another niche site, another affiliate site or a personal blog, then I'll go for it. I've also gone after e-commerce links that people have gotten on their blogs. So, Okay. And any specific approach, uh, just keep it short and sweet or yeah, do yeah. you have, okay. I'm, I'm lazy, you know, so I'm, I'm team lazy all the way. So as concise as possible, I know a lot of people use automated tools for doing their outreach, but I'm not into that. I'd rather look at the people's site, just get a quick overview of what they're about and just send them something short and sweet. And speaking of that, do you get a lot of just garbage emails from people oh. reaching out to all your sites? Yeah, I got one today, actually, one of my sites that was sent to the persona's name at the site.com addressed to someone else. Like, you're not even trying, you know? Yeah. It's so, it's so typical to see that or just the most generic sort of... Mm -hmm implementation of the automation tools where it's like yes. dear website name and it's like blah 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 <laughs> dot com like they're not even trying at all it's insane yeah, the, the ones i usually respond to are unique some recent ones i got one had a video actually embedded in it that was pretty interesting and um, a few people have sent gifs and so i don't know if they know that it's really my site and that i love gifs or they just happen to be really cool <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty so. good so let's move on to some of your favorite um, like tools and themes and just stuff that you use. You've mentioned a ton. You use a lot of tools, some that I didn't even know existed or just heard in passing. So do you want to hit some of your favorite, say, like keyword research, SEO tools and stuff like that? Um, I'm a big fan of kwfinder.com. Um, I started using them back when they were free, like in 2012 or 2013. I use Ahrefs every single day. That's probably the only tool that I use every day. For themes, I've been using Generate Press and Astra, the premium versions of both of those. I ran some speed tests and Generate Press loads a little bit faster. So I kind of favor that one for my sites. I don't know what other tools I use on the regular. I, I've tried tools like Surfer and Pop and stuff like that. In my testing, though, I don't really think they're as beneficial as just doing it by yourself. So... Okay. For the themes, what's the difference between, say, the premium version of like Generate Press and the, the free one that is out there? Well, it lets you unlock more features under the customized thing. I don't know the specifics. I know that you can like change the color of the header, like the background and stuff like that. Um, I feel like it also lets you change like... Do you want comments and category and name and date to appear? Do you want estimated reading time to appear on your post? Things like that. 
So okay. it's small things like, I don't know that it would be essential for everyone. Um, but I like it. Okay. And it does, it does load pretty fast. I've tested yeah. Um, on a couple sites just to see how quick they would, would load and the vanilla versions do load pretty fast. Mm-hmm. If you don't throw on yeah. like a page builder or anything like that, speaking of which, do you use any page builders? Do you think the formatting and the, the visual aspect and design really plays a big role in your conversions or anything? Um, I use the, the Elementor, the premium version of it. Um, but I only use it to create hub pages. Um, I like to, strip the category part out of the category slug and create custom pages with all of the posts for that category. So I use Elementor, the Elementor Pro, I think is what it's called, to kind of make a really pretty page of all my posts. And the reason that I actually do that is to reduce crawl depth so that no post is more than two clicks from the homepage. Okay. For And you use the term hub page, and Mm -hmm. that's just sort of like the category page that you're manually yeah. putting together. Yeah, like normally like the default is, you know, if you had a category of say video games, it would be backslash category, backslash video dash games. It would be kind of like an ugly blog listing. And so what I do is I use a SEO press plugin to strip the word category out. So it would just be domain slash video dash games. And it would just be a really nice looking thing of every video games post. Perfect. Do you use the same layout? I know you use generally the same themes for your different sites, but do you try and like customize them for variety or do you just do this sort of the same implementation every time? I actually try to do something different on every site because I get, I don't know if you get this, but I have people emailing me, is this your site? And so I want to make it as hard as possible for people to find my sites. So That's a good idea. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For uh, WordPress plugins, do you have any sort of favorites or even ones that actually you don't like that a lot of people do use? I have have more of those than I have favorite plugins. But yeah, what do you think (laughs) of plugins? I use more plugins than I would like to use. Um, I think most of my sites have around 17 to 20 because, you know, when you do the pro version of GeneratePress, it's a plugin. Um, Do the pro version of Elementor, it's another plugin. the plugins that I pay for, though, are AAWP for Amazon Tables, uh, WP Rocket for Fast Loading Site, uh, Imageify, I think is what it's called. It's, it's made by WP Rocket, and it optimizes your images, and WordFence. So that's what I pay for. Gotcha. Then you have a couple others in there. Do you use a dedicated SEO plugin? And if so, which one? Um, I use SEO Press. I've tried Rank Math and Yoast, and I prefer SEO Press. Okay. For, I'm not a huge fan of Yoast anymore. <laughs> I think it's a little bloated, and, you know, I'm doing uh, KGR content. Often that confuses mm-hmm. uh, newer SEO types because they keyword stuff. So with Rank Math, I've heard good things. Were there any certain things that you didn't like, or why, why weren't you a fan of Rank Math as much? I just didn't find it as user-friendly. So for me, SEO press, it was quick and simple, and I'm lazy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I want them to see yeah. ready to go. Yeah. Okay. And you say you're lazy, but it sounds like you're doing a lot. So I don't know. It's well, uh, I mean, debatable. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. 
Cool. Um, I think we're sort of rounding out. We hit a lot of the topics here. So do you have any advice for people who are perhaps that are actually, I'm going to give you two questions. So first one, people that are just getting started, maybe either they have just started their site or they're still trying to pick a niche. What advice can you give for those folks? If they're trying to keep it lean and they're going to write the content themselves, definitely pick a topic you're interested in. Um, I had a site years ago that is a case study for my students in the golf niche. And I hate golf. And I only picked it because I knew it was lucrative and it was really a chore to write for. So, Okay. So pick something you're sort of interested in for people that are, say, about one year in, they're making some money, they want to go full-time, they want to have replacement income. Do you have any tips for them to sort of push through the dip and stick with it? Well, I feel like uh, SEO building sites is a lot like compound interest. So it kind of, very small actions kind of compound over time. So even when people who are relatively new to the journey, just keep your head down and keep, you know, your fingers on the keyboard and before you know it, you'll be making, you know, big bucks before you know it. I've, I've found the same thing where it's just the people that keep like pushing yeah. through and keep trying and, and adjust a little bit along the way. I mean, I know you've had to shift your, your business model and the, the approach just in general, mm -hmm. probably a dozen times in the last yeah. 10 years, at least maybe, maybe yeah. more, who knows? So awesome. So Shauna, where can people find you? Uh, the best place is just uh, skipblast.com. Um, I'm on all the social channels, but I don't really talk about uh, SEO on them much. So, Okay, cool. And just, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, but do you have any you know areas where people can work with you? Is that something that's an option for folks that wanted to you know talk to you offline and, and connect? Yeah, I, I offer consulting and coaching through my site, but most people who email me for it will tell you that I usually advise them to save their money and spend it on content, but I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions people have. Okay, cool. That's awesome. And Shauna, this has been great catching up and I, I'm pumped that we hit all those advanced topics that you know sometimes yeah. we don't get to talk about as much. So thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was awesome. Thanks again to Shauna, and don't forget to check out her stuff over at skipblast.com. I guess that this is the portion of the episode where I kind of just go off on a tangent. So one thing I'm working on, well, my voice cracked a little bit there, but one thing I'm working on this morning is I was just looking on my, my phone because I get so many spam calls. I think I probably get eight per day at this point. There was a little stretch where I wasn't getting any. I ignore these calls. I block the number, but a lot of times they'll come from a slightly different number in the same sort of uh, lo uh, location or what do you call it? The the number exchange. Anyway, I, I struggle with this and my, my wife doesn't get nearly as many spam calls as me and I'm not sure what the deal is. I use an iPhone and they do have a feature on there where you could block calls if you don't know the number. If the number is not in your, your contacts, it basically silences it and sends it to voicemail. So the flaw in that is if you're perhaps working with a 
a company, like or making an appointment or maybe your, your vet, right? So this is what happened. I had an appointment with uh, the vet and they try to call to ask a question or some follow-up and I don't have their phone number in my phone yet. It's a saved contact. So I would miss the call and I'd have to call it back. So minor annoyance, but no big deal. Anyway, I have an Apple watch as well, which I generally like pretty well. However, the silence feature, right? The silence unknown calls doesn't seem to work on my watch. So my phone, my watch phone will ring. Anyway, what a first world problem I'm complaining about. But anyway, if anyone has tips on either apps that you use to block spam calls or anything like that, uh, let me know. I, I'm really not sure what approach to take. I mean, I'm an extreme case is getting rid of my this phone number and just getting a new one. But as I give out my phone number to other companies again, I'm sure they'll just sell them again. Now, bigger problem, right? And then I'll stop complaining and we'll just move on with our day here. But there's an election coming up here in, in the U.S. And apparently, and I, I looked this up, your phone number is part of the public record when you register to vote. So I have all these fuckers from uh, different states that I don't live in anymore sending me texts and calling me up, telling me to vote for like either party. Again, baffles my mind. Of course, um, you know, the politicians don't really want um, to not be able to get in touch with you and market to you. So I'm sure this is a pretty tough thing to get changed. But I don't know why the voting record needs to have my phone number in there or why any person can go and just get the phone number. So I'm getting calls and text messages from Montana and Georgia and then here in Colorado too. So that's a portion of them. Most of the the calls are indeed spam, but there's a handful of them that are political marketers that are trying to to bother me and get into my head. So you could imagine it's not very effective. If I actually answer the phone, I'm not very, not very pleasant when there's some rando uh, person trying to call me. So anyway, if you have tips on how to block um, these sort of spam calls, I know there's apps out there and it looks like that could be a route. Or if you know how to silence unknown calls on your Apple watch. That would be great too, because I'm not 100% sure how to block that. And this is sounding like, uh, I mean, I'm struggling with the technology here. Like I have all this great stuff, but I, I don't know how to prevent uh, people from bothering me. So anyway, everybody have a great day out there. Hope you're not getting spam calls and we'll catch you on the next episode.